welcome. If you're here from my class, you know what's going on for the most part. If you're not here from my class, this actually is a class project for a class that I'm in called What is Beauty? And what we've been trying to do throughout that class is answer that exact question from a variety of historical and theological perspectives. We're trying to answer the question, what is beauty? And kind of a subset, a sub point of that question is, is suffering beautiful? As Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ's suffering brought about this sort of beautiful result, but was the suffering in itself beautiful? And is our suffering, is human suffering in some way beautiful? So if you know me really at all, you know that I am both a theology nerd and a self-proclaimed hip-hop head. So I wanted to address this question, is suffering beautiful in, in the theology of suffering through the lens of hip-hop? So the question that we'll be addressing today in this podcast is, what is hip-hop's theology of suffering? In other words, how does hip-hop suggest that we are to view the relationship between God and suffering, specifically suffering on the basis of race? So if you're interested in this topic kind of outside of what I'm saying, there's this great book called God and the Mystery of Human Suffering, A Theological Conversation Across the Ages by Robin Ryan. If you want to pick that up, I'll be referring to it several times throughout the podcast, but that is a great resource talking about specifically what we are talking about today, but from a variety of perspectives throughout history. So how are we going to go about answering these questions? First of all, we're going to examine songs and analyze lyrics that specifically address these topics. I can't analyze every song, I can't examine every little lyric, but what I can do is address songs and pick out artists who specifically address the topics that we've already mentioned. So we're going to be examining eight different songs from eight different artists. And what I tried to do is create a diverse list of artists that's diverse based on era, gender, where the artists are from, whether or not they specifically categorize themselves as Christian hip-hop versus mainstream. And what we're also going to do as we examine those songs is we're going to examine them in pairs based on the songs that most relate to one another. And I think that's going to help us create some common threads, but also pick out some theological nuances that are going on underneath the surface. And then something that we're also going to do is we're going to consult scholars and outside sources throughout the process in order to better understand theological perspectives and the origins of these perspectives. Now a couple disclaimers. First of all, the thoughts and views that will be presented by the artists and by these specific songs are not representative of hip-hop as an entire genre. That I think that should go without saying, but I just wanted to get that out there because the way I'm phrasing the question may make it seem like that, but I want to make it clear that no, these are not representative of the entire genre of music. Also, even the artists that I did pick represent a wide variety of views on the subject at hand. Because of that, I'm not going to try to tie everything up in a bow for you. I'm not going to try to say, this is hip-hop's theology of suffering, and that's all there is to it. In reality, each of these artists, whether they explicitly state it or not, has a slightly different and nuanced understanding of the theology of suffering. So what I am going to try to do is present a broad view of hip-hop's theology of suffering, and without trying to reach for something that's not there, I'm going to try to tie together any common threads that do exist. 
And I assure you that there are some common threads that do exist. However, they might not be immediately apparent as I go through and analyze these songs. You'll have to stick around to the end of the podcast, and I hope that you do, to see some of those common threads and to tie up those loose ends. We will tie up those loose ends, but like I said... We're not going to reach for anything. I'm not going to try to put any words in artists' mouths, but we will make some conclusions. And one final thing. Yes, I am a white male trying to analyze songs from African-American artists. Because of that, I lack much of the experiential knowledge that might be necessary to analyze these songs to the fullest potential. But I hope that through my research and my reflection, I can do just a little bit of justice to what these wonderful artists were trying to say and trying to convey about suffering and its relationship to God. So I already mentioned that we're pairing these songs up based on their their themes and the first set of two songs that I have for you today are two songs that discuss perspectives and I might even say prophetic perspectives on the state of America today. And the first one of those two songs is Childish Gambino's 2018 viral hit, This Is America. If you haven't seen the music video for this song, I would say right now, pause the podcast, go watch the music video because it's absolutely pivotal to your understanding of what I'm going to be saying and into the meaning of this song. There's a scholar named Maria Fernanda Castillo Acosta that discusses several of the meanings of many of the visual elements throughout the music video and I want to go over a couple of those before I jump into the song lyrics. So if you notice at the beginning of the music video when there's the guitar player and he has a this, this bag over his head and Childish Gambino goes up to him with a gun and he does this weird pose when he's about to shoot him. What you need to know about that, just briefly, is that Childish Gambino, when he does that pose, that kind of crouched over pose, he's trying to mimic a Jim Crow pose. So right from the beginning of the music video, right from the beginning of the song, Childish Gambino is telling us all what he's going to be talking about. This is about black suffering. This is about discrimination. This is about the problems with racial bias in America and even farther than bias towards just straight-up violence. And that leads us into the next element. You'll see that throughout the music video, guns are presented several times, and whenever Childish Gambino gets done with one of these guns, he puts it on a red cloth. And Acosta says that when he puts those guns on these red cloths, that can be understood as the lack of of action of the American government to change the policies concerning gun control, regardless of the loss of human lives. That's powerful. Next, and finally, there's many more elements that I could analyze, but I don't have time. So the final one that we're, I'm going to just tell you about real quick is the chaos and the dancing throughout the music video. If you watch this music video for the first time, you may not have even noticed. You could maybe go the whole time without noticing that there's all this violence and chaos going on in the background. But the dancing that Childish Gambino is doing is so uh, kind of crazy and out of the ordinary. And he's gyrating his body all over the place that it serves as a distraction from the violence and the chaos in the background. And Acosta says that this symbolizes 
the idealization of the Amer African-American pop culture while deflecting the attention from the violence related to gun control and other important issues. So all this dancing that's going on in the foreground distracts you from what's going on in the background the same way that pop culture often distracts us from the truly important issues. The first set of lyrics that I want to play for you from this song come from the first full verse and they kind of highlight the current state of racial discrimination and violence in America. So listen up. This is America. Don't got you slipping up. Look how I'm living up. Police be tripping up. Yeah, this is America. Guns in my area. I got the strap. I gotta carry them. So in these lines, Gambino touches on several aspects of racial discrimination and of violence. He says, don't catch you slipping up. And that's a line that's repeated several times throughout the song. But in this section of lyrics, the depth of its meaning is illumined by the line that follows it. He says, don't catch you slipping up. Police be tripping now. And he's saying that when he says that, he's saying that if a policeman sees a black man, quote unquote, slipping up, doing anything that could be even remotely perceived as dangerous or out of the ordinary even, he could be punished for it, he could be beaten, he could even be shot. And Gambino also highlights the experience of many who believe that they must own guns and carry them for self-defense. He says, this is America, guns in my area, I got the strap, I gotta carry them. This is the America that we live in, Gambino is saying where people feel forced to carry weapons of death just because they don't feel safe. This is America. The next set of lyrics that I want to share from this song come from the outro, not even actually delivered by Childish Gambino. They're delivered by Young Thug. And these lines, you might need to look up the lyrics. They're a little bit hard to understand, but they're shown while Childish Gambino is running down this corridor being chased in the dark at the end of the video and these lyrics are just incredibly potent so try to listen up uh, to what Young Thug is saying. The very first line of that segment, Young Thug says, you just a black man in this world. Just those four words, just a black man, have incredible depth. These words convey what Gambino and other featured artists have been trying to convey the entire song, that black lives are not valued in America like they should be. They are treated, says Young Thug, like dogs. He says, you just a big dog, yeah, I kenneled him in the backyard, no proper life to a dog. For a big dog. He seems to be conveying the idea that black man can be successful and drive expensive foreigns like he says, drive expensive foreign cars, but at the end of the day they will be treated just like dogs, kenneled in the backyard and looked at almost as spectacles. The next artist whose work we'll be analyzing is popular Christian hip-hop artist Lecrae. Lecrae Moore is his full name and like I said, he is one of the pioneers of the Christian hip-hop subgenre, also referred to as CHH. So because of that, obviously, he's operating through an explicitly Christian lens. 
He's not as well-known as Childish Gambino, but still his music has been undeniably influential. After analyzing much of his work and his lyricism, Keisha Morant-Williams and Omotayo Banjo concluded that Lecrae, because of these rhetorical elements in his work and because of his following, is already well on his way to, they say, being able to equip and mobilize a sustainable movement. The song that we'll be analyzing from Lecrae is off of his album Anomaly. It's called Welcome to America. He actually performed this song on Fallon. Uh, so this is a song that's obviously near and dear to his heart. It's a song that has three verses from three different perspectives. Three different perspectives. His own perspective, a military veteran's perspective, and the perspective of an impoverished person in another country. So Lecrae comes with a more diverse perspective than Gambino, trying to show not only the negative experiences uh, that come along with living in America, but also the freedom that Americans take for granted. I actually only have one set of lyrics that I want to share from this song. And in this set of lyrics, Lecrae describes his experience as a young black man in America. Yeah, made in America. Mama told me that I belong here. Had to earn our stripes, had to learn our rights, had to fight for a home here. But I wouldn't know a thing about that. All I know is drugs and rap. I probably could have been some kind of doctor instead of holding guns and crap. I was born in the mainland. Great grandpa from a strange land. He was stripped away and given bricks to lay. I guess you could say he a slave hand. But I was made in America. So I don't know a thing about that. So in less than 20 seconds, Lecrae says that he either wouldn't or doesn't know a thing about that. And when he says he doesn't know a thing about that, what he's talking about is everything that came before him. He doesn't really know much about slavery or about the civil rights movement. He just knows what's right in front of him. And he names those things drugs, rap, guns, crack. He says that he could have been some kind of doctor, but really, given the rich history of racial discrimination that he is hinting at that he now knows about, the history that the younger him is somewhat unaware of, it would have been incredibly difficult for him to ever become a doctor. Perhaps he could have been a doctor, as he says. But now we see that the odds were stacked against him. Lecrae may be trying to tell us here, through these lyrics, that suffering on the basis of race is deeply embedded into American society. And that until we come to recognize the connection between our history and our current condition, we can never truly heal. Moving on now to the next set of two songs, I placed these next two songs together because of the similarity in the titles of the songs, but as you're about to see, the meanings and the perspectives presented by these two artists are actually pretty different. Both of these songs talk about hope for change. The first song in this group is Changes by the legendary Tupac. And in this song, Tupac seemingly hopes for change, but for most of the song, he demonstrates a fairly pessimistic view as illustrated by the lyrics of the hook, which say, that's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. For most of the song, he describes the African-American experience 
with many of the same sort of perspectives as Childish Gambino, and he seems to convey that there is not much hope for change. In a sense, this could be considered a communal song of lament for the African-American community. So one aspect of the African-American experience for Tupac that's worth lamenting is the issue of mass incarceration, which he discusses when he says, It ain't a secret, don't conceal the fact. The penitentiary's packed and it's filled with blacks, but some things will never change. So he discusses this issue of mass incarceration while at the same time saying it's filled with blacks. The penitentiary is filled with blacks. He's saying this issue of mass incarceration is inextricably connected to the issue of racial inequality. Becky Pettit and Carmen Gutierrez discussed this same issue in a journal article entitled Mass Incarceration and Racial Inequality, noting that both African American men and Latino men are incarcerated at a much higher rate than other ethnicities. Clearly, Tupac desires that this would not be the truth, that this would not be the case, but he feels that he can't get his, get his hopes up. So he says, but some things will never change. Tupac delivers several other potent lines throughout the song that illustrate the difficulties in the oppression he has faced because of the color of his skin. He says, instead of a war on poverty, they got a war on drugs so the police can bother me. He also says, I ain't never did a crime I ain't have to do. Finally, he says, and as long as I stay black, I gotta stay strapped, and I never get to lay back. All of these lines illustrate the difficulties that Tupac has faced and that many other black men in America have faced because of the color of their skin. Despite Tupac's pessimism and seeming hopelessness throughout most of the song, he still does seem to have a glimmer of hope. In the middle of the song, he speaks to his listeners and begs them to make a change. It's time for us as a people to start making some changes. Let's change the way we eat, let's change the way we live, and let's change the way we treat each other. You see, the old way wasn't working, so it's on us to do what we gotta do to survive. Now, if you listen to the whole song, his general message and his tone is still a fairly pessimistic and hopeless one. But he does believe, as those lyrics just showed, that a certain amount of positive change can come from the inside. He simply believes that the systemic change is too big to wish for or to expect. Interestingly enough, Tupac speaks of God and raps about God in many other songs, but in this song he doesn't explicitly mention God. Perhaps this is intentional, perhaps he wants his listeners to view these issues that he's discussing from the ground level and he sees using God as a sort of cop-out. I don't really know the reason why Tupac doesn't mention God in a, in a song where it seems like it should be natural to do so, but whatever the reason, Tupac's tone in this song is still reminiscent of David's tone in Psalm 13 when David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So even though Tupac doesn't mention God explicitly, the tone of his lament is still similar to David's. And in that sense, this song still be, could be considered theological. Alex G. and John Teeter wrote a book called Jesus and the Hip Hop Prophets Spiritual Insights from Lauren Hill and Tupac Shakur. And they see another biblical 
illustration in this song. And this one is one I really don't think that Tupac meant uh, to be intentional or explicit, but nonetheless, I think it's valid. They see in the way that Tupac describes the African-American experience an image of Jesus who was treated as an outcast, hunted and subjected to persecution and execution. However, like I said at the beginning, I don't want to reach for things that aren't there. I don't want to put words in Tupac's mouth. So I think that we can say that at the very least, with some degree of certainty, we can say that Tupac identifies injustice. He laments the suffering that these injustices have caused, and he hopes for change, but he ultimately does not expect it. The next song on our list, and the song that I've chosen to pair up with Changes, is a song from North Carolina rapper J. Cole called Change. So in this song, J. Cole also, like Tupac, speaks of the possibility of change, but he does it in a more optimistic, a little bit more spiritual light. However, like Tupac, Cole also believes that the only real change comes from inside. And if you've heard this song, that's actually a line that he repeats several times in the hook. Like Tupac, J. Cole speaks briefly of systemic injustice in the U.S. He mentions the injustice of the prison system, but he actually only does it in passing, contrasting the understanding character of God with them white folks that control the jail. More than he speaks on systemic injustice on a larger scale, he speaks on the personal struggles of the disadvantaged and the oppressed. In this track, Rich in Theology, J. Cole expresses that he believes God knows all people's intentions and understands what makes people do what they do. He expresses that view in the following lines, so go ahead and take a listen. See, I believe if God is really never judge a man Because he knows us all and therefore he would understand The ignorance to make him take his brother life The bitterness and pain that got him beating on his wife So as you just heard, J. Cole believes that God looks on the immoral actions that cause suffering with great understanding because he knows the thoughts and the intentions of all people. That idea that God knows the thoughts and the intentions of all people is a biblical concept. We see it in Psalm 139 when David says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. So Cole adapts this theologically orthodox concept into a sort of universalist view that he'd never judge a man, that God would never judge a man because he understands. And this seems to be J. Cole's way of dealing with the problems of suffering. We can be consoled and endure in our current suffering because everyone will be saved since God will, quote, never judge a man. So we see then that the change that J. Cole hopes for is not so much a removal of suffering here in this life, but a removal of suffering in the life to come. And the best anyone can do right now is change on the inside in order to make earthly circumstances as favorable as possible. But even if a person doesn't change, he can still be hopeful that God, because of his loving and understanding character, will let them go to heaven. The next pair of songs that we'll be analyzing both discuss suffering on the basis of race, just as all the other songs, but these two songs present a more spiritual solution to this suffering. 
The first song in this pair is entitled Mystery of Iniquity by Lauryn Hill. Lauryn Hill is known for being one of the most spiritually focused hip-hop artists. And honestly, this song might be, it probably is, the most lyrically dense of all the songs that we will be analyzing today. Hill spends a significant amount of time in this song criticizing the American legal system for its corruption. This portion of the song is several minutes long, but we're just going to go ahead and play a shorter, really, really powerful snippet. And the defense isn't making any sense, faking the confidence of escaping the consequence. That a defendant is dependent on the system, totally void of judgment, purposely made to twist them. Emotional victim blackmailed by the henchmen, framed by intentions, inventions whereby they lynch men. Into the false witness slandering the accused Planting the seed openly showing he's being used To discredit, edit, headed for the alleged Smearing the individual, fearing the unsuspected Expert witness the paid authority Made a priority to deceive the majority Of disinterested peers dodging duty for years Hating the process, waiting to return to their careers Do we expect the system made for the elect To possibly judge correct, properly serve and protect? Although Hill never actually explicitly mentions suffering on the basis of race, some sort of prejudice seems to be implied in these lines, especially the last ones we listen to. Do we expect the system made for the elect to possibly judge correct, possibly serve and protect? The elect that Hill is referring to here are probably the well-off white people. She is illustrating the belief that the odds are stacked against people of color when it comes to the legal system. She's convinced of the existence and the abuse of false witnesses and expert witnesses. There's a book by Patrick Anderson and Thomas Winfrey called Expert Witnesses, Criminologists in the Courtroom, if you want to pick that up, if that's something you're interested on. But she describes the jury as disinterested peers who do not even want to be on jury duty. And of, of course, she implies, they will be easily swayed by these false witnesses if they don't even want to be there in the first place. So all of this adds up to create an extremely crooked system that lends itself to the oppression of those at the bottom. What makes this song unique in comparison to the others that we've examined so far is that Hill doesn't stop at criticizing America. Rather, she offers a theory for the root of the problem and what she believes to be the solution. Let's take a look at some lyrics that reveal these things. Judgment has come, find it and return to the one, abandon the flesh, self-interest, brought way to death, pride and the greed, hide and subdivide in the seed. The knowledge of good and evil is what caused us to lie, caused us to die, let your emotions be crucified, renounce all your thoughts, repent and let your mind be retort. you find what you sought was based on the deception you bought, a perception of naught where the majority remains caught. Loving a lie, not realizing an atom or die, loving a lie, not realizing an atom or die. So Hill could have just as easily have called on America to fix the problem by its own power. After all, we, we don't need re religion to realize the system is crooked, right? It's pretty apparent. She didn't really have to make this about religion or about spirituality, but if you've ever listened to Lauryn Hill's music, you would realize that it wouldn't have made sense for her not to make this about religion, for her to not make this a spiritual issue. In her eyes, suffering is a deeply religious, deeply theological problem. All of the suffering, all of the crookedness, all of the selfishness is a result of the fall. And the lines that we just listened to are steeped in biblical allusions, specifically allusions to Paul's epistle to the Romans. 
Hill begs her listeners to abandon the flesh. Paul says in Romans 8, 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Hill tells Americans, renounce all your thoughts, repent, and let your mind be rebought. Paul tells the Romans a similar thing in Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Hill prophetically repeats, loving a lie, not realizing in Adam all die. Paul tells the Romans almost the same thing in Romans 5.12, that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. For Hill, the cause of systemic injustice and suffering is the same as the cause of personal death and suffering. The selfishness and the pride of Adam that we have all inherited and that we have all participated in. If you'd like a similar view of that to read, theologian Gustavo Gutierrez similarly emphasizes the undeniable connection between sin, our personal sin, and the systemic injustice and suffering that exists in the world. So Hill implies that if the reason for personal death and suffering is the same as the reason for systemic injustice and suffering, then it is reasonable to think that the solution is also the same. Returning to repentance. Returning to Christ. Frank Thielman, a scholar on the Epistle to the Romans, illuminates this concept for us. He writes that if Adam in his human frailty could bring death to humanity through one sinful blunder, then God in his strength, intentionality, and gracious generosity can easily and overwhelmingly reverse Adam's curse. If the curse was for all humanity, then when God reverses it through Christ, he also reverses it for all humanity, on a corporate, communal, and societal level, not only on an individual one. But what we must do to participate in that reversal is to repent. And as Thielman says, we will then receive the gift of freedom from punishment and of peace with God that comes through the atoning death of Christ. This is what Lauren Hill is trying to say at the end of this song. Next up, we have a song from probably the least known artist on our list. It's Christian hip-hop artist Jackie Hill Perry. And in this song, she raps about conversations with a woman and a man who are tired of the injustice that they face. His bell is higher than what put him inside And it's crazy, is he a collie from Rikers Island with violence? Or maybe he gotta die to be safe and I'm still alive, let us pray. So here Hill Perry is actually speaking from the perspective of a mother whose son is in jail. And if you didn't catch it, she says that his bail is higher than what put him inside. So maybe the son of this woman speaking had robbed a store and his bail is even higher than the amount of money that he stole. And she says that maybe he's got to die to be safe and I'm still alive. Let us pray. This woman lives in fear of the next thing that could happen to her son and even goes as far as to say that he will not be truly safe until he is dead. Hill Perry here is illuminating the amount of fear that African Americans often have to live in, living in this country. After each of the two verses, there's a hook where Hill Perry and presumably each of these two people who she's speaking for offer up an honest prayer to God, responding to the suffering that has just been described. 
Life is getting harder, God, I need thee Gotta walk on water where you are, oh God, I need thee God, I'm losing focus, hold me close because I need thee Never let me go, oh don't I know it, God, I need thee I Unlike Lauren Hill, Hill Perry doesn't offer up a solution to the injustice and the, and the suffering, but her response to the suffering is beautifully spiritual in a different way. Her words are reminiscent of David's cry of desperation in Psalm 69, verses 13 through 15. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. She knows the quote-unquote solution to suffering lies in God, but she's not exactly sure how that looks. And so she simply cries out, God, I need thee. The final category of songs that we have is songs that discuss the suffering of the least of these. And by the least of these, I am referring to the end of Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus says, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. And then also the inverse, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So each of these songs in some way, either implicitly or explicitly, discusses this passage actually. And each of them chooses to portray the least of these as a homeless man. Now, I need to say before we jump in that obviously this is not explicitly connected to suffering on the basis of race, but I think it is certainly uh, in the same vein, and we do need to discuss it, and we need to see how these artists say that we are to respond to the suffering of the least of these. The first song for this category is called Mr. Wendell. It's by a 90s group called Arrested Development. The rapper for this group is named Todd Speech Thomas, and in this song, Speech talks about his sort of mutually beneficial relationship with this homeless man named Mr. Wendell. And Mr. Wendell, in this song, in a sense, represents all homeless people. And throughout the song, Speech is trying to dignify homeless people by dignifying Mr. Wendell. Speech talks about how, at first, he viewed Mr. Wendell with somewhat disdain but then throughout their relationship and as he got to know him more he began to see him more and more for who he truly was as a person and through this whole story like I said speech is trying to dignify the homeless the least of these in a sense and this theme of dignification climaxes in the following lines Mr. Window has tried to warn us about our ways, but we don't hear him talk. Is it his fault when we've gone too far and we got too far? Cause of him we've walked. Mr. Window, a man, a human in flesh, but not by law. I feed you dignity to stand with pride. Realize that all in all, you stand tall. Go ahead, Mr. Window. Daniel White Hodge, a scholar on the relationship between hip-hop and theology, identifies one of the primary themes of 1980s and 90s hip-hop as giving worth, value, and meaning to the suffering, social isolation, and pain so often overlooked when it is experienced by non-dominant people groups. This seems to be exactly what Arrested Development is trying to do with this song and in those lines that we just heard. 
They're trying to give worth and value to the marginalized. This song does have theological undertones. At the beginning of it, speech tells Wendell to be strong and serve God only. But speech's implied response to suffering is not overtly theological. The response is seemingly to treat everyone with dignity because every person is a human being. As a group that seems to be intentionally trying to enact change, that's really what Arrested Development's MO was throughout their entire career. Perhaps their idea was that this message of love and dignity was something that everyone could jump on board with. If the message was not overtly theological like, say, Lauren Hills, then everyone could feel free to participate in the solution. And thus we could say that, in a sense, Arrested Development's proposed response to suffering is to dive right in and do something about it, especially when it comes to the suffering of the least of these and of the marginalized. It's almost as if through this song, they're putting the ball in the courts of each of their listeners and saying, if you care about the suffering of the least of these, if you care about those who suffer, then get up and do something about it and show some respect and dignity. The final song for this category and for the podcast as a whole is How Much a Dollar Cost off of Kendrick Lamar's album To Pimp a Butterfly. So essentially this song is an extended metaphor for Matthew 25, 45, and 46, which we've already mentioned. Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. In this song, Kendrick tells a story about his encounter with a man at a gas station in South Africa. The man asks him for 10 rand, which is South African currency. It's equivalent to about one U.S. dollar. And through the first two verses, Kendrick becomes progressively angrier and more aggressive and more defiant as the man stares intensely at him. Finally, the man asks Kendrick, Have you ever opened up Exodus 14? A humble man is all that we ever need. In verse 3, Kendrick becomes defensive and becomes even more skeptical about the man's intentions, continuing in his selfishness until the man looks at Kendrick and delivers the following climactic lines. Know the truth, it'll set you free You're looking at the Messiah, the Son of Jehovah The higher power, the choir that spoke the word The Holy Spirit, the nerve of Nazareth And I tell you just how much a dollar cost The price of happiness, body, heaven, embrace your loss I am God by ascribing the literal identity of Jesus to this homeless man, Kendrick stresses the fact that Christ is uniquely present in and to the least of these. It's exactly what we just talked about with Matthew 25, and it's a truth that Natalie Cairns also kind of stresses and fleshes out in her book, Image and Presence. Would definitely recommend that, Image and Presence by Natalie Cairns. But by doing this, by ascribing the literal identity of Jesus Christ to this homeless man, Kendrick achieves a shock factor in this song that would have otherwise been absent. You don't really get that when you just listen to those lyrics, but go listen to the whole song. I guarantee you'll be shocked all over again. But the entire song builds up to those lines we just listened to, and Kendrick's crazy cadence, that machine gun-like cadence, and the delivery of those lines creates an absolutely jaw-dropping level of intensity. And the listener, you and I cannot help but be appalled by the fact that Kendrick has just vehemently denied God himself. And through this shocking climax, Kendrick emphasizes the gravity of these sins of selfishness and pride and the importance of providing for the poor who are suffering. 
It is so important, in fact, that it just cost him his spot in heaven, which, by the way, is an explicit reference back to Matthew 25. So both of these artists, Kendrick and Arrested Development, choose to look away from themselves and shift their gaze to those whose suffering is magnified, to the least of these. And to a certain extent, either implicitly or explicitly, both of these artists recognize exactly what Robin Ryan notes that Christians have recognized throughout the centuries. That Christians proclaim a Messiah who was crucified and who, as the risen one, is present in solidarity with the crucified of every age. By creating these pieces of art, the artists highlight the fact that Christ truly is near to and uniquely present in those who are suffering. So that's it for the song analysis. Now it's time to make some conclusions, to try to answer some of the questions that we've asked the best that we can. How do these songs and artists suggest that we are to view the relationship between God and suffering with a specific emphasis on suffering on the basis of race? Now remember the disclaimer that I gave you at the beginning. These views and ideas are not representative of every hip-hop artist. I'm simply trying to identify trends by drawing from artists who have chosen to discuss these topics. Remember also that I am not going to try to reach for commonalities. I want to do justice to the nuances that each artist and song provides, and I don't want to put words in these artists' mouths to make them agree. Finally, remember that my understanding is, just like anyone else's, limited. I'm sure I'll miss some things, I'm sure I'll miss some trends and or nuances, but hopefully these conclusions that I draw will be helpful. That being said, let's jump into some commonalities, some common threads from the songs that we have analyzed. First, the artists call out the problems and shed light on suffering. Because of this, we could say that these artists are, in a sense, like the prophets of the Old Testament. They're calling out problems and calling people back to right behavior. Some of the issues they call out are prejudice and violence against people of color. We saw that in Childish Gambino, in Lecrae, in Tupac, in J. Cole. They also call out racial prejudice within legal systems and the incarceration of people of color. We saw that again in Tupac and Lauren Hill and Jackie Hill Perry. They also call out the dehumanization and the mistreatment of the homeless. Again, we saw this mostly in Arrested Development and Kendrick Lamar. And while this is not explicitly connected to race, it still contributes to the conversation of hip-hop's theology of suffering. The second primary commonality that I see among these songs, is that the artists do not blame God. Even if they mention God, they don't blame him for human suffering. And despite their recognition of the problems, they seem to maintain that human free will, not God's sovereignty, is responsible for suffering. As I previously mentioned, these commonalities also come along with many differences and nuances in the artist's understanding of the relationship between God and human suffering. Some of the artists don't even mention God. Childish Gambino, Tupac, and others do. Lecrae, J. Cole, Lauren Hill, Jackie Hill Perry, Arrested Development, Kendrick. 
Some artists, such as Tupac and Arrested Development, seem to suggest more pragmatic solutions to suffering. These solutions mirror MLK's Six Steps of Nonviolent Social Change. Others, such as Lauryn Hill and Kendrick Lamar, suggest more spiritual fixes that involve personal change of heart, and still others, such as Jackie Hill Perry, don't really suggest a solution at all. Next, some artists are hopeful about the eradication of suffering. J. Cole and Arrested Development seem to be the best examples of this, while others represent more pessimistic, hopeless outlooks, such as Tupac and Kendrick. Others seem to be more neutral. Lecrae is a good example of that. Finally, some of the artists focus more on the big picture and discuss systemic issues on a macro level, or they speak more in generalities. Childish Gambino and Lauren Hill both seem to lean this way. Others focus more on the experiences of specific people, either themselves or others. Lecrae, Tupac, J. Cole, Jackie Hill Perry, Arrested Development, and Kendrick all do that. The fact that there are more of the latter that focus more on the, uh, the experiences of specific people might tell us something about the message they are trying to communicate. It seems to me as if these artists are trying to say, these are real people. I am one of them. These are not just statistics. These are human beings. That's a lot of thoughts. That's some heavy stuff as well. And the question then is how do we respond to this? To be honest, I don't really have a great answer to that question. However, I do know a few things that I must do. And to best communicate that, I've put those things in the form of a poem. He said mourn with those who mourn, so I'm going to mourn with you. He said weep with those who weep, so I'm going to weep with you. He said here before you talk, so I won't speak too soon. And yo, the stage is yours, sis. Go and speak your truth. Forgive us, God, for all our pride and what it led to. Forgive me for what I've done and what I've said, too. Forgive us for oppressing our sisters and brothers. Forgive me for disbelieving when I heard their struggles. Would you redeem us, Lord? Build a tower from rubble. Would you come and rescue us in our hour of trouble? Emmanuel, you are the voice of those who are oppressed. Poor in spirit, persecuted, Lord, you call them blessed. But it don't seem like blessings now, so would you give them strength? On earth as in heaven, God, eagerly we wait. And as we wait, we'll do our best to bring your justice here. But these ain't my shots to call, so I'ma lend my ear. And as we wait, we'll do our best to bring your justice here. But these ain't my shots to call, so I'ma lend my ear.